just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope your day is going well. I still got this damn cold. It's uh, I'm not in any pain, but my nose is kind of stuffy. My throat's kind of scratchy. I'm coughing a lot now and again, and I'm getting really tired of it. I got to get rid of this thing by Sunday because that's when we have the party for my granddaughter, and uh, I can't go there sick because I'm not going to get my grandkids sick. So I'm fighting this, and hopefully we'll get through it. Now, yesterday I had kind of a busy day. I was doing a lot of stuff. I was actually putting some work in for once. I think I did three or four TikToks. I did an hour and a half live, and I had a couple of people that were guesting on it. Uh, a TikToker named Gooby Lube, and uh, I've talked to her a number of times. She's from Canada, very interesting woman. And then Jaybird61, you may have seen him on TikTok. He's got this big, deep radio voice, and I knew he'd been an old radio guy just by listening to his voice. He was running for elected office, but he's of a like mind, and uh, he was interesting to talk to, and I brought him in on the live as well. It's much easier to do a live if I got somebody to actually talk to. If I just keep reading the questions and answering them, it's a little harder. So hopefully everybody that saw the live liked it and got something out of it. I had a good time with it, but that was an hour and a half. And then within an hour after that, I recorded a podcast with Ed, that colleague of mine from the radio. And that's after I'd already produced another podcast for that same day. I guess it seems only right that I put in some extra time yesterday because yesterday was the anniversary, first year anniversary of the Rational Boomer podcast and uh, put a little extra effort in. So now we're back on track, and uh, it's the day after the anniversary. It is a Saturday, and we're going to talk some uh, talk some news. But before we do that, of course, we always look to the emails, if there are some, and we have a couple today. First one comes from Joshua. He says, Mike, you're starting to convince me that people just may be abandoning the Trumplifux. I have been hesitant to think this is possible given the years and years of seeing them attack their own voters and somehow still enjoying strong support. But I have noticed something here in Maine where I live. I'm not seeing near the amount of Trump flags that were very present in the recent past. I mean, a drastic reduction. I wonder if other areas of the country are seeing a reduction in public displays of support. I'm thinking this is significant. I mean, who wants to look like an idiot when the majority of the country is laughing at them and wanting to see them put in jail? Staying optimistic. Joshua. Well, I think it goes without saying that Donald Trump is losing his grip on the Republican Party. He is certainly losing support. You can tell that from the rallies where he'd normally get twenty-five to 35,000 people. He's now getting four and 5,000 people. He's getting people in politics uh, kind of stepping back from him because of the crazy, stupid shit he's doing. Donald Trump doesn't have the platform he once had. He doesn't have Twitter, so he's not in front of people's faces. People are fickle. 
They like what's new and what's happening, and Donald Trump is old news at this point. Yeah, you'll still have people that are seriously supporting him and stand by him no matter what, but that's really just the base, and the base really only amounts to maybe 30% of the American public. Now, I'll grant you that's a lot, but it's not enough to win elections. And the people in the middle between the Democrats and the left and the far right with Donald Trump, there are some people in the middle that have gone either way. A lot of them will stick with the Republican Party because they've always voted Republican and they don't like the Democrats. Well, now these people are going to have to make some choices. We're seeing some criminality, some corruption, some ridiculous bullshit. And I'm certain these people aren't going to be want to be party to something like that, so they're going to have to make some changes. They're either going to vote Democrat, Independent, or just not vote at all. And either way it goes, the fewer people voting for Republicans, the better off everybody is. Now the next email comes up, and it comes from Bruce. All right, Bruce. Hey, Mike, I'd like to chime in on Kevin's atheism comment, if I may. I can appreciate an individual's right to choose whether or not they believe in a God. No problem there. The problem I have is with the unintended consequences of such beliefs. My religion says that you're not living your life in accordance with my beliefs, therefore I have the duty and obligation to kill all infidels. And I'm willing to blow myself up in order to kill those who don't believe as I do. He's talking about... Uh, some of the radical Muslims. Moreover, I get milk and honey and 200 virgins when I get to heaven. I know this is delusional thinking, but they're entitled to believe whatever they want, and that is too true. But I'll be perfectly honest with you, 200 virgins wouldn't be as much an enticement as it once was. With my constant loss of testosterone, 200 virgins just sounds like a lot of fucking work. <laughs> But, no, I get your point. I get your point. And he goes on and says, Or I hate people of the Jewish faith, and they should be exterminated according to my religion, as in Hitler. Or I hate gays or transgendered for or anyone who doesn't look or think or believe the way I do. He says, Herein lies the problem with such beliefs. More people have died in the name of God than any other cause. This God, whose existence cannot be proven or verified, has been a divisive and destructive force in the world. It doesn't bring us together, in fact, it tears us apart. This is not to suggest that there is any kind and loving people, there isn't any kind and loving people among the various religious groups. I can personally attest to the fact that there are. You are a prime example. However, I believe that atheists tend to have a much deeper appreciation for life because they realize this is the only life they'll ever have. We will not have an opportunity to live again in heaven or burn in hell. For us, reality dictates otherwise. We're willing to face our mortality head-on and live our lives in accordance with reality. I know that this is a difficult topic for you, and I'm okay with you not covering this on the show. Just wanted to share my perspective on life and death, Bruce. What do you mean? Hell yes, I'm going to put it on the show. We don't walk away from tough conversations. And, you know, I get what you say. And I have no problem if people are atheists. You know, they're more literal and they're looking at things. Well, there's no proof, so I don't believe it. I get that. I don't necessarily agree with you, but it's not because it's my policy not to agree with you. It's based on my experience. 
Again, I'm going to be drinking water a lot because of this fucking cold. But here's the thing atheists do. And I want to clarify something. Now, as I've said before, I don't believe in religion, organized religion. And for the very reason he laid out there, that's the very reason he laid out, is that there is all kinds of strife and fighting and judging and all these sorts of things. Um, but an atheist will want to blame God for that. If God was good, he wouldn't let this happen. Now, see, here's the thing. You can't blame God for that. You can blame the fallibility of humans because it isn't God that really does that. It's these religions that start wars and kill people, and you're absolutely right. More people have died in the name of God than anything else, but that's not God's fault. That's the failure of human beings. And this is why I don't join clubs. Because these clubs are created, run, and policed by humans who are fallible, who uh, can get greedy, who get power hungry, and those sorts of things. God is a bigger thing than a religion. I don't think God would ascribe to any particular religion. I don't think that's necessary. Again, I'm just talking from my perspective. But we've got religions uh, that are run by humans. And for me, it seems like it's all about uh, power and money. You create a religion, you get people to believe what you're saying, you scare the hell out of them, and then you take advantage of them through money or, or, or whatever. And that's how I perceive religions. Now, not every church, not every religion is horrible. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying my experience with religions, and I grew up a Lutheran, uh, wasn't good. My wife was a Catholic, and I got married in a Catholic church. That experience was disappointing. I went to um, a Jehovah Witness service with a friend of mine when I was in high school. I've been to all kinds of services, and I see the same thing throughout. We've got these people that claim to be above everybody else, making rules and regulations and getting mad if you don't follow their rules. To me, that just seems funny. They're not God. They aren't any closer to God than I am. And so where do they get off telling me something different? Now, the reason I believe in God has nothing to do with church. My mom tried very hard. She sent us to Lutheran Sunday school. She sent us uh, to Lutheran confirmation classes. We got uh, communion as Lutherans. And she was really dedicated to that, and I respected that. And because she was my mom, I did what she told me. But as I got older and was able to make my choices, I, I found it very, very uh, disturbing, the religious organizations. My experiences was that they were really only concerned with um, money, and trying to tell you how you should lead your life. I mean, I lived in an upscale neighborhood when I was young because my dad made a fair amount of money. And, of course, whenever you went to church, this minister, this pastor would say, you got to give more money to the church. you got to live a little less high on the hog and give your money to the church. Okay, we've heard that before. But unfortunately, in this situation, that pastor lived about a half a block away from me in that same upscale neighborhood. And if you looked at his fucking driveway, he had three or four cars. He had boats. He had snowmobiles. He had all the fucking toys. So to me, that seemed hypocritical. I didn't trust him. 
we would sit in confirmation class. Honest to God, this would happen. Every Thursday we'd go, and we fucking hated it. I had a bunch of friends in there. You'd sit down, and the first thing he would do is he would ask for uh, an offering. Now, you'd go up and put your quarter or 50 cents in or whatever. But if you didn't have money for the offering that day, he would literally write a black mark against your name in a book every time you didn't show up with money. That doesn't sound like something God would do or Jesus would do. My experience with God is this. I've had situations, tragic situations in my life. My brother almost died when he was 19 years old. My sister almost died when she was a baby. There were all kinds of things that happened, and I spent a lot of time praying. And that prayer seemed to work because those people are still alive now and they are safe. There are other situations in my life when I was troubled or had a bad situation. I prayed, and you know what? It worked out for me in the end. Now, you might say I'm fooling myself, but in my mind, that seems real. I think people want to take everything and make it too complicated. It's not a complicated thing. In the Bible, it says, don't go to anyone to get to God but Jesus. Okay, whether that's true or not doesn't make make a difference. But my point is, is all of us have the ability to go to a God, a higher power, whatever it is we believe. And whatever turns out from those experiences sets whether you believe it or not. And it just so happened in my case, I've had many situations where I've kind of been put in a situation where I believe there is a higher power. That's my right. I'm not going to tell you you have to think that way. But my point is, is don't blame God for the bad things in this world. The bad things in this world come from people, and we have free will. And with that free will, some people do some fucking evil shit. God isn't controlling everything, every day, every minute, every hour. It's kind of a, a big learning experiment here on this world. And we are to be better people, and we are to love one another and treat people kindly and with respect. It's those people that refuse to do that are the ones that are causing the problems in this country. You can blame God if you want, but you have free will, and it's the uh, uh, humans that cause the problems in this country. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's Saturday, and I'm giving a sermon. I'm not trying to sell anybody on religion. I don't care what you believe. I only care how you treat me and how you treat other people. If you treat people well, I like you. If you're a fucking asshole, I don't care. If you're the Pope, I won't like you. So, anyhow, Bruce, I appreciate that that email. I get what you're saying. I respect what you're saying. And you make some excellent points. And hopefully, I got across what I'm thinking. And if it makes no sense, don't worry about it. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people from what I understand. (laughs) Well, we had uh, an interesting sit-down today. Marjorie Taylor Greene testified in front of a Georgia court who was considering whether or not she assisted in the insurrection on January 6th. Now, if it's found that she did or was involved in the January 6th insurrection, she will be disqualified from running for re-election. And she is up for re-election come November. Now, I don't honestly know that she can even win the race if she goes into it. But they sat down and we had this, um, this woman testifying. And I said beforehand that it's going to be a shit show. 
And a shit show it was. But it was kind of entertaining. Couldn't watch the whole thing all day. The whole day, it was three hours. But I caught a lot of parts of it, and I've seen videos of it since. Now, when testifying, Marjorie Taylor Greene caught a sudden case of forgetfulness. She spent a lot of time saying, I don't remember. I don't recall. I don't know. Now, that is the typical Republican divert, distract, and deny strategy. They won't address facts because they can't address facts. They can't explain away their criminal and corrupt uh, actions. And it was probably a good strategy for someone in her position. See, Marjorie Taylor Greene has a propensity of lying. And if you're lying under oath, well, that's perjury. And you can be tried and convicted of that and go to jail for that. So I'm sure the lawyer told her, look, (laughs) just say you don't know, because you open your mouth and say the wrong thing, you are fucked. She may be fucked anyway. When she was shown some of her tweets, you know, some of these inflammatory tweets that she put out, uh, she explained that, uh, well, I have people that manage my social media, so I don't know who wrote that. Really, Marjorie? You've got a Twitter account, and yes, maybe you do have people helping you, but you guys don't discuss what you're going to put out. The people who work for you can just run roughshod, go rogue, and write anything, and it's got your name on it? That sounds like a horrific way to run a fucking business. When asked about a uh, uh, liking a tweet that suggested a bullet to the head of Pelosi was a quicker way to remove her as opposed to impeaching her or whatever. And she said, you know, I'm not sure who liked that. Again, if it's somebody that works with you, good. But don't you have some kind of working arrangement where you're on the same same basis of what you believe and what you're going to attach to your name? See, it's just all a big game with her and all of these people. Lie, distract, delay, be deceitful. That's what they do. They can't explain their behavior, so they act like you don't. They don't know what you're talking about. Now, um, they also showed some videos where she's actually speaking, and she would say things about the insurrection or Nancy Pelosi and that sort of thing. And for every one of those things, she had a uh, an explanation. Well, that's taken out of context. Taken out of context, you said this in this sentence. What could you possibly have said before or after that would make that less horrific? It's just it's just a bullshit, bullshit excuse. And then she said, and I love this one. Hold on a second. Then she said, and I mentioned this in a previous podcast, it reminded me of the old wrestling days when I watched wrestling when I was a kid. Somebody would show video of somebody committing a uh, an infraction in the wrestling match, and of course, one of the managers would step up inevitably and say, well, that videotape is doctored. Now, I would never think in this day and age that somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, would make that kind of claim, but fuck if she didn't. Well, I think those videos are pretty cut up. I think they're edited. Like, she doesn't remember doing those videos. I mean, if you've got a a video on a tweet or a video on a TikTok or Facebook, it's a pretty finite space that you have to put it into. Um, 
you don't have to edit it because it's probably a minute long or something like that. But she couldn't take ownership of that. She wouldn't admit anything. Now, I guess what the next step is, is that the judge will make a decision and issue a recommendation to Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, on whether Green should be disqualified. Now, of course, when this decision comes down, uh, she can and most likely will appeal it if it goes the wrong way. But the real question is, will she be disqualified? Who knows, really? Some lawyers that I've seen on TV have said, nah, she's not going to get disqualified. She's going to get through this. It's too iffy here and too iffy there. And they may be right. But keep in mind, this really has no bearing on the more serious things. Because as much as this is a civil case, you can bet that there's some criminal cases and investigations going on, certainly of January 6th and more than likely in into... Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, there's all this video. There's all this evidence. If this one judge in Georgia says she can't be disqualified from the election in November, there is still a criminal investigation going on. So this is the least of her problems. She's trying to make a claim, too, to just get it to go her way. Um, see, the thing about it is, is is if she's found guilty and she wants to appeal, there's a primary in May, and that appeal won't be back by May, so she feels like she's being mistreated. If you tell me that I lose and I have it on appeal, the primary will come and go, and I'll still lose anyways, and that's not fair. Fuck you, Marjorie Taylor Greene. We don't give a fuck if it's fair. So... It's going to be interesting to see what happens with this. There's going to be some more dicking around. Uh, if the judge says, yes, she's disqualified, then there will be appeal. If he says, no, it's not enough information to disqualify her. We knew all along she wasn't going to say anything. I knew she wouldn't do the Fifth Amendment thing because that did her no good. She had to somehow argue that what she did was right or say that it wasn't true. She had to speak. Um but it's hard to say what's going to happen. Now, as much as she didn't say anything, that's not a big deal. I mean, when you think about prosecutions against criminals in a criminal case, it's pretty common that the defendant doesn't speak at all because it's just going to get them in trouble. So it's a matter of delivering the evidence and then getting a decision based on the evidence. And in this case, there was a ton of evidence. All kinds of fucking evidence. There was videos with her mouth flapping in the video saying the very things that would make her guilty of giving comfort to those causing an insurrection. In real terms, in real life, she should be disqualified from the next election. There is no question about it. But in this life, in Georgia, with a Georgia judge... I don't really know what's going to happen. I'm not sure that she's going to um, be disqualified. That's the one thing we found out in, in the last five or six years. Our legal system and the norms within the White House and the uh, agreed-on uh, rules, even though they weren't law, there is no strength in them at all because there's no way to enforce them. 
people have just kind of followed the rules and not broken them. But Donald Trump comes in, and he's like a bull in a fucking china shop, and he's breaking every norm, every rule there is. And then when he does, we find out, well, fuck, there's nothing we can do about it, which is a bad thing because that opens the door for future presidents or future senators or congressmen to do whatever the fuck they want, even though they know it's wrong, even though it goes against the norm or a rule, but they know they can't do anything about it. So what's stopping them? What Donald Trump did was more than damage the White House when he was there. He damaged the White House for the future unless there's some changes made. Unless we can hold a president accountable while he's in office, a president is going to do whatever the fuck he wants. As long as representatives and senators can ignore subpoenas, well, then who's going to fucking follow a subpoena when it comes from Congress? Nobody is. Nobody's going to feel like they have to comply with a subpoena. What Donald Trump did was very damaging to our government, to the White House, to Washington, D.C. in general. In this situation, if the world was right, she should be disqualified and be accountable for her actions. And I pray that she does, but I'm not convinced that that's the case. Now, the good news is, as far as I'm concerned, when she gets to the primary, she'll probably get beat there. She's virtually useless to Georgia. She's not on any committees. She's basically a pariah. This is not a good person to represent her. Now, I will say there were some fans of Marjorie Taylor Greene in the courtroom. They were cheering for her or laughing when she laughed about some question that she didn't like. But the one thing I did notice when I looked in that courtroom, that courtroom was not full. And the amount of uh, trump in that courtroom were few and far between. They were there, they were clapping, they were engaging, but there wasn't that many of them. So um, clearly there are fewer and fewer people interested in what Marjorie Taylor Greene is fucking doing. All right, let's take a quick break and uh, we will be right back. So, Kevin McCarthy has been outed as a big, fat liar. You know, a book comes out by two New York Times writers. In it, it says that after the January 6th insurrection, McCarthy was talking to Liz Cheney, and they were seriously talking about using the 25th Amendment. Now, they have to uh, convince the cabinet to do that if they use the 25th Amendment, but they were seriously talking about the prospect of removing Donald Trump from office. It was also reported that McCarthy was talking about going to Donald Trump and trying to convince him to resign because of the impending impeachment coming up. Now, Kevin McCarthy didn't really believe that uh, Donald Trump would resign. That wasn't really his style. But Kevin was talking like a big shot with Liz uh, Cheney and uh, acting like he was going to take control. So that came out, that report came out about the book. And of course, uh, when McCarthy heard the report, he adamantly denied it and said that the report was not true. It was a lie. But poor old Kevin McCarthy, a few days later, a recording of that very same conversation with Liz Cheney comes out. And uh, good old Kev was the one that was lying, lying in a big way. Now he's in cleanup mode. 
apparently he did talk to Donald Trump after this recording was revealed. And it's kind of interesting because he says, no, uh, Don and I are cool. Don and I are cool. He's not mad. Yeah, I'll bet. But when asked if he wanted to see Kevin McCarthy become the Speaker of the House, should the Republicans get the majority in the House, Trump was kind of noncommittal. Now, he was acting like it's all cool. It doesn't make any difference with this uh, conversation. And that's how a narcissist would act. Oh, that doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't hurt me. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever comes, bounces off me, and sticks to you. Donald Trump is just putting on a show. That's what Donald Trump does every day. It's all about perception of him and how you perceive him. Now, as much as he hates Kevin McCarthy talking behind his back, he doesn't want to be perceived as somebody who's upset or even has people talking behind his back, because that makes him look weak. And let's be perfectly honest, Donald Trump is a weak motherfucker. That's just the way he is. Um, Narcissists like him are traditionally cowards, and he's the epitome of a coward. So he wasn't going to let anybody know that he was upset about this. And that that took some restraint, too, because Donald Trump is a very emotional guy, and he usually acts on emotions. But this is a much more calculating situation. He can't help but be mad at Kevin McCarthy for suggesting that he should resign or that uh, the 25th Amendment might just take him out involuntarily. He can't be happy about that. But for whatever reason, he doesn't think he can express his anger. Now, I did hear an interesting story, too. Don't know if this is true. But uh, I understand that he may be doing an interview with the Wall Street Journal and maybe talking about Kevin and his feelings about Kevin, just to clarify this whole situation. After Donald Trump gets thinking about it, things settle down a little bit, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that interview. Now, something you may not know, but you should know, the Wall Street Journal has long been a respected newspaper. But at this moment in time, I'm pretty sure Rupert Murdoch, the guy who owns Fox, also owns Wall Street Journal. So you can understand why Donald Trump chose to do an interview with them. They are uh, friendly folks to Donald Trump and his fucking kind. Donald Trump can't stay shut up for any period of time. Any day, almost every day, he'll come up with something absolutely stupid. And regarding this situation with Kevin McCarthy, you can almost count on it. Some shit is going to go down. It, it, it's As I said, when this came out, Kevin McCarthy vehemently denied that he ever said those sorts of things. And then, of course, a couple days later, the audio recording of that same thing comes out. That's so Kevin McCarthy, you know. <laughs> if you're going to step on your dick, well, Kevin McCarthy's going to do it. And he's done it every time. I mean, you think about uh, the whole thing with the January 6th committee. He thought he was being a hotshot by saying, we're not going to be involved. We're not going to stoop to that level. Then you get a couple of Republicans in Kinzinger and in uh, Liz Cheney to join it. So it does appear to be bipartisan. But uh, Kevin McCarthy's got to look at that situation as a horrible mistake because it could have been a full bipartisan committee like the 9-11 committee. 
which would have done at least one thing. It would have brought on some Republicans who could create some chaos or distractions or mess with things in this uh, in this investigation. But he chose not to do it. He thought he was a hot shot. And now that he hasn't done it, the January 6th committee can do pretty much anything they want unfettered. And there's nobody that's going to try to uh, trip them up or confuse them or create chaos. That, that was a fucking huge mistake. Now, McCarthy's biggest problem right now isn't Donald Trump. As much as you think it might be, it's not. Fact of the matter is, his bigger problem is with the Republicans in the House of Representatives. Because he keeps fucking up, and because he's caught on tape dissing their Lord and Savior, they've got this clown over a barrel. I mean, he thinks he's a big shot, that he's going to be the Speaker of the House. But at this point, he's either going to have to grovel, beg, borrow, and steal just to maintain what leadership he now has. And that's kind of essential if he wants to be Speaker of the House later on. But they've got him over a barrel. And one of two things are going to happen. He's going to grovel, and he's going to give up something or make some comment that they want him to make. Or he's just going to be taken out of the leadership, and he will be sent away in shame. He'll still hold his positions that he was elected to. He just won't have any power. He'll be like the male version of Marjorie Taylor Greene, all dressed up and nowhere to go, nothing to fucking do. And that could happen to Kevin McCarthy, and that would torpedo any plans he has in the future of doing something big like being the Speaker of the House. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. He's going to try to blow it off and forget about it, like Republicans tend to do. But that's not going to work in this situation. The Republicans aren't going to allow that. You know, see, they are competitive by nature. And I'll guarantee you there's at least five other people that want to be Speaker of the House should the Republicans get the power back. So they're not going to be friends with Kevin McCarthy. They're going to try to make him look bad and try to beat him out, get him out of the way, and become Speaker of the House themselves. So this could get kind of messy with the Republicans. The Republicans have all kinds of problems with uh, divisiveness within their party. You got the crazy right wing. You got the people more in the middle that are kind of normal. You got people fighting over position. And when you split up a party like this, it's going to make it tough to win an election. You want as many people on your side as possible. But if you're split up in two factions in the Republican Party, that makes the whole Republican Party weaker and makes it easier for uh, the Democrats to win in November. All right, next up. Now, I just heard a story, and this is kind of interesting. It's not surprising. Recently, two Russian oligarchs, two gas executives, and their families were found murdered within 24 hours of one another. One family was in Moscow or just outside Moscow, and one was in Spain, I believe. Now, this is extremely coincidental, or some shit is going down. 
We've been hearing that uh, there is some dissension amongst the people close to Vladimir Putin. They're feeling the economic crush, and they're seeing the atrocities and war crimes committed by Putin and the Russian military. They are realizing this uh, is going to cause problems for them. The country is going to crash economically, and throughout the world they'll be considered uh, uh, pariahs. So they're standing in the world, and their financial situation will be shot, and they've only got one person to blame for that, Um, and that, of course, is Vladimir Putin. They also understand none of this is going to stop, and it's not going to get a chance to recover until Vladimir Putin is gone. So you can bet there's some conversations within the uh, Putin hierarchy about You know, maybe we need to get rid of this guy. Maybe we need to get him out. And as I've said before, nothing's going to stop. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to get better until he's out of office at the very least or out of the country or dead. And I only say that because these countries, they are known for doing that. I mean, here in this story, Vladimir Putin killed two people. We also know he's jailed a lot of people that were his close counterparts. We know that he's killed other people. Navalny, he tried to kill but failed. That's just the way that government works. And what's that old phrase, live by the sword, die by the sword? Well, that's a true thing. And Vladimir Putin's lived by the sword for a long time. And uh, it wouldn't be at all surprising that he ends up dying by the sword. Now, you throw in the fact that Vladimir Putin's a little unstable these days, not to mention paranoid, things clearly could get crazy. Now, if people are talking about taking him out one way or another, and he's getting whispers of it, then he's going to start going crazy and killing people, like we're seeing. They have people close to Putin that were put in jail, as I said, two that were murdered, And God knows what we haven't heard about. There's probably all kinds of horrific things that we don't even know yet. I mean, think about Ukraine. We saw the tragedy. We saw the destruction with the war. But then when they pull out a buka, we go in there and we see the atrocities. It never seems to get better with the Russians. It always seems to get worse. And whatever you could imagine as far as being bad, it's always worse than that. So in Moscow, in the Kremlin, things could get crazy. People could be looking side-eyed at Vladimir Putin, and Putin may be getting paranoid and looking side-eyed at them, and we could have some serious fucking altercations in the Kremlin. This could get very messy in Moscow. In a couple of months, the full economic effect will hit in Russia. People will be struggling and uh, having a very difficult time in doing this. They're not going to get through this easy. And, you know, what happens when you're in pain? You will do anything to get out of pain. And, uh, you know, say you got a toothache, you'll do anything. You'll put ice on it. You'll you'll rub something on it. You'll take 100 pills just to stop it because the pain is so bad. Can you imagine if your whole life is torn apart? You have no more money. You can't get food. You don't know what's going on with electricity. You have no internet, nothing like that. You take all that away from them, and people are going to freak out. And it'll be interesting to see how these people do react. But in the end, 
whether we're talking about the citizens, the military, or the government, it's all going to come back to Vladimir Putin. They're going to see him as the source of their problems, of their pain, and they're going to want to take him out so they don't have to suffer anymore. Now, here's the thing. Even if they get Vladimir Putin out, the economic situation, the standing in the world, it's going to take decades to recover from that. But you got to start someplace. So they're probably anxious to get him out of there so they can start to try to redeem themselves in the world and get their economy working properly. I'll be honest with you. If they had a decent leader in uh, Russia, they have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of money and they don't have a lot of abilities, but if Russia and America and some European countries could actually work together, it could be very valuable for this this planet. It could be very productive and profitable for all countries involved. You'd think they'd see that, but instead it's all about their ego, all about their testosterone, and who's the biggest, strongest, and wants to win. Well, that, of course, is how Russia runs things and Vladimir Putin runs things. But all you have to look at, where does that put you? Your economy's shit. You're attacking a weaker, smaller country, and now you're a worldwide pariah. I've got a rule in my life. If I do something and it doesn't go well, I stop and I do something different. It seems ridiculous to continue doing the same thing if it's not working well for you. But apparently Vladimir Putin, that's never occurred to him. He's never thought about this. The only way this ends in Russia, the only way things get better in Russia, if Vladimir Putin is gone. I know it. You know it. Our government knows it. And you can trust the people in Russia know it. It's just a matter of how it's going to get done and when it's going to get done. But trust me, ultimately, in the not-too-distant future, Vladimir Putin will be out of a job one way or another. All right, I'm just drinking water here, man. My throat gets dry. I'm getting ready to cough. I don't want to cough because that's not good for the podcast. (laughs) But anyway, let's talk about another dumb fuck, Mark Meadows. He is a former Trump chief of staff. He is suing the January 6th committee so he doesn't have to testify. See, he's suing because he refused to testify, and they referred him to the DOJ, and now he's going to be indicted for criminal contempt of Congress. So this is his way to get back or delay it or whatever the fuck he thinks he's going to do. Now, as part of that lawsuit, former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson released a lot of details about Meadows. I don't think he was planning on this because here's some information that's being released in the deposition with this Cassidy Hutchinson. Now, according to a deposition, Hutchinson said she revealed that the Secret Service gave warnings about violence at the Capitol on January 6th, and apparently Donald Trump didn't do jack shit about it. In fact, he encouraged his supporters to go to the Capitol even though he had been warned by the Secret Service that there would be violence at the Capitol. That means one thing. He doesn't care about his people, or his people were the ones that were going to commit the violence, and he certainly didn't want to stop them from doing that. I mean, we're not surprised by this information, but if Mark Meadows just did what he was supposed to do, this information would have never come out. 
It also revealed that Donald Trump never, ever called the Secretary of Defense regarding deployment of the National Guard. So you see the National Guard in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. isn't a state. So in that situation, the people that oversee the National Guard is the Department of Defense and the Secretary of Defense. But Donald Trump never called him, never asked for any help from the uh, National Guard. Now, keep in mind, he's been warned there's going to be violence. He's watching on TV from his dining room, the violence. And in neither of those situations was he willing to call for National Guard help. And why would he? They were all doing what he wanted them to do. It also showed an ongoing text message conversation between Mark Meadows and Congressman Scott Perry regarding a plan to replace Department of Justice leadership in the days prior to January 6th. Do you know that story? Of course you do. We've talked about it before. You remember the story uh, prior to January 6th in the DOJ. There was a peon that worked in the middle management part of the DOJ. His name was Clark. And now Clark had been talking back and forth with Donald Trump. He's nobody. He's not the attorney general. But Clark drafted a letter that was supposed to go to the Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, and to some of the other swing state secretaries of state, too, basically saying, hey, we found all kinds of election fraud. Do not certify your election. So Clark sent that up the flagpole, went to the AG, and the AG said, fuck no, we're not doing that. We're not. That's crazy. That's going to cause all kinds of problems. So at that point, Donald Trump was angry with the AG for not uh, complying with this little scam that he was trying to pull off. So he had talked about and looked into the prospect of firing that attorney general and then bringing this peon from back in the middle management up to the attorney general's office because he knew if he did that, then he would okay that letter. They were trying to pull a scam. There was no evidence of election fraud, but they wanted to say there was to get them to stop certifying the election to buy them time. Now, that's highly illegal, highly illegal. And Mr. Clark is going to suffer some consequences for his involvement there. And clearly, Donald Trump is connected as well. Now, we've got a lot of things going on here. A lot of things have been exposed and a lot of evidence and information has happened. And Jamie Raskin said something just yesterday, I think. And uh, this is a, something he repeated from something he said way back to uh, a, a small group of people. And somehow we heard about it. But what he's suggesting is we're getting some evidence now. And, of course, we know that. But he says when the televised hearings start, and they're suggesting early June, when they start, it is going to blow the roof off the House of Representatives. He's thinking there's going to be some bombshell shit. Well, there's already been some bombshell shit. But as I've told you before, what's going on in the House Select Committee is probably a lot more than we know. There's a lot more evidence than we've seen. So what he's telling us is that's kind of the end game. They get to the televised hearings. You're going to see people talking. You're going to see evidence being shown. 
and it is going to blow the roof off the place. I hope he's right. And I think he is right. I mean, they've planned this all out. They've interviewed 750 people. They've got all kinds of evidence. They've got documents from the National Archives. They know pretty much everything that went on. And let's be perfectly honest, Donald Trump and the Republifux, they aren't very good at hiding anything. They're too arrogant to do that. So the evidence is going to come pretty clear and clean. And when that stuff is released... Maybe it will blow the roof off the House of Representatives, but it's going to make people think. And people that trusted Donald Trump and didn't believe the negative stuff are going to have no choice now because it's going to be sitting right in front of your face. As much as the Democrats seem to be wimpy and don't get tough, I think they know what they're doing in this situation. They're letting things out slowly. They're going to let it come to a culmination with the uh, hearings on television And then there's going to be all kinds of follow-up. There's going to be indictments. There's going to be investigations. There's going to be prosecutions. It's going to be a shit show before the midterms. And when the midterms come, it's going to be very hard for the Republicans to try to pull fucking anything off. Now, whether they're able to accomplish that, I don't know. But that seems to be their plan. And that's a reasonable plan. I've said that before. I said, you know... One of the ways they can win the midterms is by passing a lot of stuff and showing everybody how well they're doing with the Democrats. But since we've got Republicans that will only obstruct and won't allow things passed, the only reasonable thing to do at this point is, because we've got so much material on this, spend the rest of the time between now and November destroying the Republican Party. Make it difficult for them to run for re-election and win. And then when they don't win and we increase the margins in the House and the Senate, then as the Democratic Party, making Manchin and cinema and irrelevant now because you've got a wider, wider margin in the Senate, once you do that, then you can do pretty much whatever you want for the next two years. The Republicans are going to have to sit there with their thumbs up their ass doing nothing. That should be the goal here. That's the only reasonable way to do it. We're not going to convince Mitch McConnell to give in or Manchin or Cinema to give in. We've tried the diplomacy, the negotiation, the compromise. These fucks refuse to do it. So instead of trying to get something to happen that is not going to happen, take another tact. Try that and see if that works. And that's what they're going to be doing. That's what they are doing. So we'll continue watching what's going on. I'll keep you posted here on the Rational Boomer podcast, of course. And again, if you have any questions, comments, or complaints, by all means, send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, look for the Rational Boomer podcast, and leave me a voicemail. I hope you have a great day, and we will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.